Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at a trailer for Sons of Anarchy. Welcome this evening's guest moderator from New York Magazine, Patty Greco, and tonight's guest, Kurt Sutter. I'm so glad you're all so happy to see me. Hi. Thank you for doing this, Kurt. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, so we're nine episodes into season six. Yes, we are. Yeah. Tara has spent this entire season so far deceiving Jax. Jax finally knows about it. What I want to know is, did you always know from the beginning of the show that you were going to pull this couple so far apart? Um, and if so, does that mean you think that they're incompatible, ultimately? Wow, that's really deep. Um, getting deep. Uh, I, I was just expecting Fifty Shades of Grey questions, so uh, <laughs> that's all I'm really prepared for. Um, no, I, uh, I think... Um, my, my intent with Tara was always that sort of uh, the education of an old lady, you know, and, uh, um, and Gemma really being uh, her coach and mentor to a certain extent, uh, and really showing uh, the evolution of Tara, at least over those first five seasons, of her slowly becoming, um, uh, you know, uh, closer and closer to perhaps um, uh, uh, what Gemma had become, and um, uh, so in in the you know in playing out that arc, you know you have to throw it up against you know Jax, and uh, and how would Jax respond to that, and 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 how would she use those skills to protect herself, and that's really what she's doing now is essentially learning everything or using everything that she's learned from Gemma to um, you know. Uh, and applying them to her own circumstances, which is, okay, I feel threatened, I'm not sure what to do, how do I protect my family? And now I need to go to those extreme measures to do that. Um, I, you know, I think the, the, the biggest struggle for both of them in all of this is the fact that they, they do love each other. You know? And I think the, you know, the betrayal and the heartache for, for both of them is knowing that they've been driven to this point of having to do this. Right. Tara feeling like, you know, that it had to come to this, and Jack's really feeling, to a certain extent, um, somewhat responsible for her be being driven to that place. So, and I'm glad you say that that Tara felt like she had to do this because I feel like I should, like I want to defend Tara. There are a lot of Tara haters right now. Um, 
What do you say in response to them? Are they being fair? And I, I'm also curious how Maggie Siff, who plays Tara, has responded to the backlash. <laughs> um, you know, yes, I, you know, I'm, I'm always somewhat surprised at uh, the extreme reaction of the fan base because you don't really, you're not, you don't have that awareness when you're in the process of putting it out there. So you don't really think, okay, how is this going to land or how is this going to be perceived? You just sort of try to move through with organic story. And, um, you know, and it's hard for me because I, no matter what my characters do, I, you know, I always feel like I have them rooted in some sense of humanity and understanding. So when, when you know, we, uh, by, by example, we did this, this screening uh, in New Jersey last night for this uh, Sandy benefit, you know. So we watched episode 10, which will air this Tuesday, with, you know, like 1,500 screaming New Jersey fans. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just like watching a movie in the hood. They were just, kill that bitch! You know, it was just sort of like, so it really, it really, I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Perhaps, you know, um, and uh, so there's, you know, but I do think that there are people like yourself that beyond the betrayal of it, I think there's that sense of, you know, absolute sadness that this person is being driven to such extreme measures to protect herself and, and her family. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To see her unravel that way and become that person is, is, you know, is, is really quite sad. Here's what I want to know, though. Why doesn't she say to Jax, your mom helped kill your dad, basically? Like, when is that shoe going to drop? And why isn't Gemma more nervous that it will? I think, to a certain extent, I, I feel like the... Tara is smart enough to know that she would need like the, the tangible proof of all that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, um, and, 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 and if you go back and you look at what she does know, it really is, um, uh, you know, it, in those letters, it's, it's suggested, it's speculation. It's not like tangible proof. So I, I feel like, I mean, at a certain point, yes, I think if, if, you know, if, the, if push came to shove, she might in, engage in that. But I also, because every time we go back and we look at that and we look at what that information is and we, we think, well, how would she use this? Can she use this? And we look at how it would play out. We have to give Tara the intelligence to realize, well, how is this going to play out? And is it going to turn on me or work against me? You know, I think what you saw in, I think it was last week's episode, um, where Gemma sort of reveals to Nero yeah. that truth. I mean, that's really, I, I mean, for me, that really is the truth. Right. That's not Gemma sort of spinning or soft selling. I mean, that, you know, that really is the extent of it. It's like, I don't think she pulled the trigger. I don't think she came up with the plan, but I do think she ultimately gave Clay the blessing to, you know, move forward, you know? Um, so, uh, 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 and, and, and as she said, I don't think she's ever said that out loud to, to, to anyone, you know. This isn't a question, but I just want to say that Colette is the worst. Colette is the person who had sex with Jax, everyone, and she's the worst. Um, <laughs> so, 
I mean, not the actress. Uh, right, just the fact right. that she did this. Um, okay, so last week's episode also was the Clay Pussy Sermon episode. Uh, and that was pretty amazing. I want to know how, uh, how you even came up with the Pussy Sermon, one, and, and in general, how you come up with your kind of out there ideas. Are they just in your head, or do you have these sort of dark sources? Um. <laughs> uh, I had 12 years of Catholic schooling <laughs> and uh, that'll do it uh, no I um, you know it was it was difficult because we you know Clay wasn't in a couple of episodes and uh, we had written scenes that included him in jail and and ultimately um, we we they didn't make it to the final drafts because they always sort of felt like what they were, which is, hey, don't forget about this guy. And they didn't feel organic and part of the storyline. So we really let, you know, what was going on with him sort of drop out a little bit. Um, so it was fun, you know, to reintroduce his arc coming into the last, you know, uh, third of the season. And, uh, and we had this idea that, you know, he needed to, uh, uh, he was going to get the phone. Uh, the only place he could get the phone to make those calls is, uh, was in the psych ward. So then it was like, well, now we can do anything we want because all he has to do is go fucking crazy. So, uh, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I, uh, I have a buddy of mine who's actually a, 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 um, a preacher and, and goes into uh, um, um, county jail and out in L.A. and, and does sermons and stuff. So um, he would he would tell me some crazy stories and uh, uh, not that anyone ever did the pussy the redeemer speech to him, but. Uh, um, uh, but that sort of became that character. I thought, well, that's an interesting character, and maybe Clay goes off on that guy. And, uh, um, and then the rest is just things that went wrong when I was a child. <laughs> um, you, have tw you tweeted recently that you're going to write JT's full manuscript, The Life and Death of Sam Crow. Um, have you started writing that yet? I mean, in, in its completion and how is that going to play into season seven the final season it's uh it's not the plan is to and i have uh when i did the initial um uh sort of document uh, bible for the show um i included uh sort of how i saw that book in terms of of uh of what it was and uh and 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 have like chapter headings um, and, and sections that, uh, that I think are in the book. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, the, the, <laughs> the great thing about JT's manuscript is that, you know, we sort of refer to it uh, during different points of the series as, as you know, just kind of a, uh, uh, I think Jax at one point refers to it as, um, you know, uh, uh, like a, crazy diatribe and, and, and MC love story. You know what I mean? It's sort of like all over the place. So, um, which basically gives me the license to, to do anything I want. So, um, uh, but I have the chapter headings and I sort of know what I want it to be. Um, and then I'll probably um, uh, uh, work with somebody to help me uh, sort of uh, uh, pound some of it out. But um, uh, the plan is, to, is for me to start that over the hiatus and, and, and put, start putting drafts together and work with an editor and then to release it on the day of the final episode of the series. So the last, the, when, the, when the last episode airs, the manuscript will be available. Right. So. Which is why I thought it might play into season seven, because we spoke once 
before, and you said that the Redwood original might or would play a role, a big role in the seventh season. So I was lying. But <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think it plays. Um, I, I don't know if it plays a, a, an integral part in terms of uh, story, but I think for me, all of that legacy of Jack's is really, you know, um, it's what constantly uh, pushes him forward. Um, uh, you know, we have a, and, and here's a little spoiler for you, but there's a, there's a scene in this week's um, uh, uh, episode where, you know, we see him in the beginning after the clubhouse um, uh, explodes, we see him carrying out pieces of JT's bike, you know, and we sort of see what happened to all those pieces uh, in, uh, in, this, in, this week's in this week's episode. So, you know, um, f you know uh, the, the, the metaphor of him still trying to put together his father's legacy after it's been blown up you know what I mean, is still sort of, whether it's conscious or unconscious, you see him still wanting to or needing to figure out what all that is. And I still think that impacts him uh, a great deal. I still think he thinks about it, especially, you know, when Gemma talks about how everything that happened with JT is to a certain extent being repeated with Jax, you know. J, you know, that JT sort of went through the same challenges with the Irish 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when he tried to get out as Jackson. You know what I mean? So the, uh, you know, we don't do flashbacks on the show um, just because I think it pulls us out of, the, out of the reality. So I'm, what I'm able to do is sort of allow history to repeat itself to kind of tell those tales, you know? Um, I was actually going to ask if you don't do flashbacks because you dislike them in general, or no? I, I think flashbacks are, you know, I think it's a it's a it's a great uh, storytelling device. But I always felt like because of the grittiness of the show, and, and sorry, I fucking hate that word because of the uh, uh, it's just so misused. Um, uh, you know, be the the tone of this show and the reality of this show, um, I just felt like. When you do flashbacks, you're asking the audience to unplug from where they are and, and, and the engagement of that moment. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like that's part of the allure of the show, is that you, know, you feel part of. And to do flashbacks, I think, is a device that um, you know, sort of puts you sort of outside of it. You're very aware, and oh, now I'm watching a TV show, and I'm seeing something else that happened a while ago, and now I'm back. So, I don't know, it's just, it was just a conscious style choice. What are some of your TV writing pet peeves that you see in other shows? Oh man, I could get in so much trouble for that question. Um, um, here's what I would say. I, you know, um, I was having a conversation, <laughs> uh, I won't say a name, but I, I flew out on the plane with somebody uh, to, uh, to New York and who had done a lot of network TV and we were having a conversation about network TV and um, you know, w I think what happens with network TV sometimes is that it's, it's um, and, and not that there's not very talented people writing it and, and producing it and, and even at the networks, you know, I know people in, in, in levels, uh, high levels of uh, uh, creative decision making in the networks and I know they're bright and talented people but the mandate there is to sort of dumb it down to the middle, you know? Because you, you, for better or for worse, you're really, 
you're really creating for the lowest common denominator. Do you know what I mean? So um, what ends up happening is, is things just sort of get diluted and, and simple. So I watch network shows sometimes and, and I'll see like a really good story and then I'll hear it and then I'll see the network notes. You know, I'll see them sort of, you know, um, uh, layering it with exposition because they're afraid people aren't going to understand. I'll see them, you know, uh, you know, repeating scenes or or having a character say something once, twice, three times, just in case people or or taking a story down a trajectory that they know will feel more comfortable when you can clearly see that perhaps a writer or somebody wanted it to go someplace else. So, you know, I get frustrated with that just because as, you know, um, uh, you know, you see, you, you know, you see the potential for something to be different and good, and then ultimately it just gets killed by that need, you know, for it to be um, uh, middle of the road, you know, and, and the, the joke is, you know, at, at the networks, it's like we're looking for new and fresh and exciting, and they're really not. They're just looking for, you know, the same old shit in a prettier package, in a different package. You know, they just want to, really what they want is a new, fresh, tr uh, you know, trailer each, each year. And they don't really want new product, you know. Uh, are people scared? To I will never, obviously, work at a network television show right. <laughs> after tonight. <laughs> Are people scared to give you notes? Why would you ask that? I I don't know. You don't seem very scary to me, I'm, except on Twitter. Um, no, you know, I think um, uh, I have a you know I have a really I have a great relationship with Twentieth uh, uh, Fox Twenty One and, and, and FX, and uh, um, they they've you know I can I can I get notes from them now, and I can hear the staff meetings about how to give me the note, and. Uh, <laughs> So everything is it's fantastic. Everything is couched. It's like Jeopardy. Everything is couched in a question. You know, what if we had a question? And and you know, so I have to listen to the questions and go, okay, all right, there's that's the note. That's you know what I mean, and sort of decipher. But it's you know, um, you know, and that's uh, that's what seems to work best. But um, the great thing is that they you know they really like the show at the network. So. Um, they're as excited to see the new episodes and to read the new scripts as, you know, as anybody. So that helps, you know, when you have people that are a actually engaged in what you're doing um, is, is a big help. Um, um, so I, I wouldn't say they're afraid. I, I think they've, they've, they know that um, perhaps I have a, um, a big personality, you know, um, but uh, fuck, they deal with Ryan Murphy. How much bigger could I be than Ryan Murphy? I know Ryan Murphy. I am tame compared to Ryan Murphy. Uh, speaking of Ryan Murphy, do you watch American Horror Story? You know, I don't. I don't. You know, it's uh, and I know it's a great show, and 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 Ryan really is a a, a, a good friend of ours, and uh, um, and I don't just mean that in like the Hollywood way, um, but. Uh, uh, you know, it's just not my milieu. You know, I'm I'm just not really a a, a horror guy, and uh, and there's very little TV that I actually can watch. You know, just because of my schedule, and uh, there's only a few shows that uh, that I really do watch or, or try to, or I actually enjoy watching. You know, um, but uh, I think Katie's watched it a couple of seasons, but I um uh, I don't, I don't. 
I was curious in part because it's just when I watch it, I'm like, I can't believe this man also does Glee, and I'm not saying it. Right, right, just, right. So I wonder if if you would ever do a show that's so different than Sons of Anarchy, so not violent, focused more on the comedy. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I uh, clearly I've I've carved out a little um, niche for myself um, doing the Shield, and then and then coming into Sons and. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's an area I'm obviously pretty comfortable in. Um, um, but I, I, you know, I, uh, I, um, I really try to, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people will laugh, not for the right reasons at this, but, you know, there's a lot of humor in Sun. See, there's a lot of dark humor in, and that's some of my, you know, I love writing that stuff, you know. Um, and uh, so I would, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, I'm, I'd, I'd like to try to write um, a, a comedy. Um, in the past, though, every time I try to like write something funny, by the second act, it's just horrible. People are just dead, and or it's you know, perverted, it, or just it's just sort of like it's funny to me, and then people read it and go, w "What do I do with this?" You know, a laugh track? I don't know. What do you? <laughs> uh, what is your writing process like? Are you a morning writer, a fast writer, a cranky writer? Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's my name. my nickname, Fast and Cranky. Uh, um, I don't know what that means. Uh, I, 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 I have couple. You know, I, I tend to, uh, uh, I tend to rewrite um, in the morning. Uh, I'll do a shift in, in the morning, and uh, that's sort of when I'm, I'm, I'm sort of more alert and and. Uh, uh, and I tend to do a lot of rewriting in the morning. And then I do a shift at night after everybody goes to bed. And that's when I tend to break more story. And I guess um, the, a little bit more of the creative stuff happens at night. All the, maybe all the weird shit happens at night. I don't know. <laughs> you know. And in the morning, I read it and go, what? Right. You know? uh, you've said that you, you have a kind of end game in mind. Do you have moments, or how often do you have moments, if at all, where you freak yourself out or second guess or think that maybe you should tweak something or change the trajectory? Um, I don't, you know, I, and not to sound like I, I think everything that, that rolls out of my printer is gold, but um, I think it's, uh, it doesn't serve the creative process to second guess, you know. I feel like once it's out there, it's out there because it's supposed to be out there. And, um, you know, so I don't really look back and go, wow, I wish I did that differently. You know, um, you know, there are things in the process that have happened that I wish happened differently. Um, in fact, we were just having discussions about, um, you know, um, I, I just directed the finale and I'm in the process of doing that cut and it's, it's, uh, it's a little long. So um, um, we're trying to figure out, can we, can we actually do a two hour finale and how does that break down? And, and then they suggested, well, in season four, you split the finale into two episodes. And, and I wi that's, a, that's a thing, something I wish I never did. I feel like that was a huge mistake. I felt like an episode is an episode. It's a little movie unto itself. And I felt by ultimately splitting that episode in two, it hurt both of those episodes. So I wish I had never done that. But in terms of story, no, I really try to, f I really feel like things happen pretty much organically. And I, when, when it's out there, it feeds, I feel, you know, the trajectory of where we're going. And uh, um, so I try not to look at it in terms of, you know, uh, I wish I didn't do that, you know. Um, right. 
other than wishing I'd killed Otto and Susan too. <laughs> because you didn't like the stress of playing a character. It was just it was just such a horrible. It took like so long to put on that fucking eye and this sort of. It's like really, you know, it's all. It always seems like a good idea at the beginning of the season, and then uh, and then like I get the call sheet and I'm like really. I gotta get up at 6 a.m. to like put the eye on, really? So. Didn't you auction off his tongue last night or, or, or sell it for, for a Sandy release? We, we tried to, we actually, uh, uh, this is so, I'm, I'm such a whore, but uh, uh, we actually, you know, we have these little, um, <laughs> we have these little trading cards. Um, well, not little trading cards, they're, not, they're trading cards. And, uh, um, and they wanted to, put a piece of swag inside the trading cards. So I said, well, let's just chop up the tongue. So if you buy the trading cards, and some of them, there's actually a little piece of Otto's tongue. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that'll be a big seller, clearly. <laughs> you have some sick fans. That's true. That's uh, no true. offense, guys. Speaking of sick fans, it's now the Q&A portion for the audience. Um, and this woman over here is going to take it over. I said none from the second row. Come on, you gotta give me a chance. That's kind of my stuff. Um, one of my questions is, don't get me wrong, I love my men on Mayhem, and there, you have introduced like strong female characters like Gemma or like this season, I love CCH Pounder as the district attorney, but what about women of Mayhem by any chance? Because um, you know, you have broken barriers through what? Well, here's the deal, and people ask that all the time, and, um, and they talk about the uh, the sort of misogynistic nature of, of the world. And, 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 and the reality is this, if, if there were outlaw clubs that had women in them that I, you know what I mean? I, I, and it was part of the reality of that environment, I would, you know, I, I would potentially write to it, but there's not, there really isn't. So I feel like to suddenly do that is gonna feel like a writer trying to break a barrier, and that's not my job. It's not my job to break the barrier in terms of well, let's not uh, let's do this in TV now. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's it's my job to to tell the story and to sort of be organic to the world. And I and I try to do that by creating female roles that are strong within the parameters of that world. And that's really what I have to do now. If I'm writing a, a show that takes place in a different world where that happens, yeah, then then I think you have the opportunity to do that. But it staying true to that culture it really is a somewhat misogynistic culture still. And, 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 uh, um, and until that changes, it really doesn't make sense for me to, to tell that, you know, it's, it, would be a, it would be a lie, so. Hi, Kurt, how are you? Hi, Anne, how are you? Good. Um, What's I your name? My name is Valerie, and today is my birthday, actually. Happy and birthday, this is the best Valerie. present is to be here and listening to you. Um, I listen to the after shows that they have podcasts and I love hearing everybody kind of break down the show and a couple of things that I've been hearing and I don't know how much credence there is to this but with the season ending with next season there's been talk of maybe some spin-offs of um, Sons or maybe even a prequel to see how John Teller and Clay were back in the day. Um, is that something that you can talk about? Yeah, I, 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 I much to the chagrin of the network, I talk about it a lot probably. Um, uh, I do, I, I would, you know, I, I, I had a sense of that like coming into uh, um, third season of the show when we were doing all the um, 
uh, all the revealing a lot of the backstory that took place in Belfast. And um, uh, I do. I my my plan is to you know we're putting out a lot of we're putting out a lot of. Um, uh, uh, um, companion uh, uh, content, meaning we, we have the graphic novel we're doing now, the third issue is coming out, we're going to be doing novelization with actual full novels um, that are companion pieces in terms of they, they take place within our world in other charters and, and members of the, the, the club that, that we all know will intersect with those worlds so that they run parallel to the stories that are being told uh, each week on the show. And the plan is to have that out there and continue with that after the sh after the series ends next season to basically sort of keep the 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 IP the intellectual property alive and and, and current in people's minds. And then, what I would love to do is let the mythology rest for a couple of years, like a season or two, and then come back and do uh, the first nine and have it really be a period piece that takes place in, 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 uh, in the 60s and, and these vets coming back from war. And so tonally it would be a different show, I think, but, uh, but to tell the story of John Teller and Piney Winston coming back from Nam and, and, and the reasons why they, you know, they did all this initially, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, I'd love to do that. And there's, we've had discussions about it, you know, creatively and, and, and people seem open to it, but that's as far as it's, it's gone at this point. Hi, Kurt. Hi. I am a huge fan. I have a friend who couldn't be here who was a bigger fan. What's <laughs> so your I name? love you. Huh? What's your name? Rosa. Hi, Rosa. Hi. Okay, so my question is about Opie. He's now, dead. I know, I know. Your show fills me up with so much emotions. I laugh, I cry, I curse, I stomp around. You would think I, I'm living in the real place. <laughs> okay, so I know with... I'm kind of sad that Opie is gone, you know, because Jackson Opie had such a great bonds, a great relationship, great friendship. Now, I was wondering what went through your minds when you actually was writing the scene for Opie's death? Um, you know, uh, my, you know, I, I, and I think I've talked about this before, the character of Opie initially was... Um, the plan was to kill him at the end of season one um, and, uh, and have that be the sort of trajectory that set Clay and Jackson into motion into season two. And we loved Ryan Hurst so much and he brought so much pathos and, uh, um, and just, it just was, it had an, a completely different take on the world than a lot of our other guys. And we loved the relationship that was happening between he and Jackson. It felt really real and organic. Um, so we killed Donna instead, and uh, much to Sprague's <laughs> dismay. But uh, um, and and that was you know so and then we obviously you know kept that relationship going, but we did you know there was so much emotional wreckage that that character had over those three seasons between losing Donna, between losing Piney, you know, um, uh, and and I felt like. Once Clay's betrayal was revealed that ultimately I just 
didn't know how this guy could sit across from any of those guys at the table and have it feel real. Like, how can, you know, I just didn't know what that felt like. And, and Ryan had played him with such pathos and, and, and such vulnerability. And, and I just didn't know where else to go with the character. And, and, uh, and we had, you know, Ryan and I had discussions. And it was, you know, it was brutal, man, because he's a buddy of mine. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, it was really sad. And, uh, um, you know, I think uh, Charlie's told this story before. But, um, you know, he, uh, you'll, 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 when they did that death scene where he gets hit in the pipe, all the guys, all the other actors, even the ones that weren't in that scene, were on the other side of that glass. And, and he had requested that they be there in that moment. You know, so it was really, it was deep, man. It was deep for those, it was really cathartic, and, uh, and it, was some, it was some heavy stuff. So it was very, emotionally, it was very difficult, and one of the you know, most difficult creative decisions I've ever had to make. Um, I have a huge poster in my office and uh, and I have it there just because it, rem it it's of and it's the death blow to Opie's head. It's just a it's just a giant Opie head with blood coming out. And it looks like a halo behind it. And I know it sounds sounds graphic, but it's actually quite beautiful. And uh, and I have it there because it just sort of reminds me of you know the the it, it just sort of humbles me sometimes when I think like what I'm doing you know, that, that it's all about me, you know what I mean? Because I, I, I see that and, and I know the impact that it's had on those guys, my, my cast, my crew. <clears throat> Clearly I can see the impact that it's had on the fan base. So it's sort of like, it just reminds me that it's, it's all, it, you know, that ultimately it's all bigger than me and that it's ultimately sort of my job to just sort of help service all that, you know what I mean? And it kind of flips it for me and, and reminds me of all that. Hey, Kurt, big fan. Hey, um, man. Thanks. Um, my first question is... What's your name? Uh, Mike. Hey, Mike. Uh, nice to meet you. First, uh, I know the Torek character was supposed to go all season. Yeah. Where was that going to go? Because that was totally a crazy yeah. scene, like Silence of the Lambs, him dancing ass naked. Um, so where was his character going to go? And was, did that mean Otto was going to make it the whole season? And then my second question really quick is, if you had to cast somebody for JT now, who would that be? Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, yeah, you know, um, uh, Donald is a friend of mine, and we've been wanting to work together. And uh, we've tried a couple seasons in the past, and things didn't work out. So, uh, you know, I, we, we brought him in, we introduced him last season, and, and yeah, my, my sense was everything that happened to that character was supposed to happen much later, including the, the, the auto of it all. Um, and to happen, it was supposed to happen around episode eight or nine, because that's when I thought he was leaving to go do Vikings. And, uh, and their schedule, I guess, you know, they shoot that in Belfast or something, and there was weather or something, and, and his schedule got pushed up. So uh, I realized I only had him for, you know, for the four episodes. So we sort of had to crunch everything in. And then what we did, and this is what I mean by, you know, not regretting stuff like, uh, because, you know, we had brought in that character of, of Patterson, CCH Pounder's character, who was really, you know, maybe only going to be on for a few episodes and, and, and just uh, that presence out there. Um, but, you know, as it turns out, what happened is a lot of, of, of that story then landed on her. Like, she became, she picked up the burden of what he did. And, and it really, you know, like, if I didn't tell people that, 
in terms of letting that character go, no one would, I, I, you know, it's a fairly seamless transition, I feel, especially when you have a character like, C, or an actor like Cece. So that was sort of the plan, and, and, and she's organically sort of picked up that mantle, and it's become now personal for her, but in a completely different way. And, and I also sort of look at things like, you know, um, we, we set up that character as being really out there, and then Donald made some really fantastic choices. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm realizing that maybe, you know, he was a four-episode character. Like, like, a little Doric goes a long way. Like, how much naked ass dancing could we really have, you know? So, or junky naked ass dancing, so, you know. But, uh, so that's really the, what went down. Oh, and J, JT, um, I don't know, man. I really don't. I don't say that just, you know, uh, uh, to dodge the question. At this point, I don't know because I'm not quite sure exactly where I would pick up the story. Would I pick it up, you know, in Nam? Would I pick it up post Nam? So I'm not, I'm not really sure as of yet, you know. Maybe Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> Hi, Kurt. Hi. Um, what What's is your it? name? Tell I'm Victoria. Name. Hi, Victoria. <laughs> we watch your show in our college dorm. People think we're quite crazy <laughs> by uh, screaming about it. Where do you go to school? Uh, SUNY Purchase okay. in New York. Um, <laughs> what is it like to work with such a group, talented group of actors? And more specifically, what is it like to work with your wife? Oh. Uh, um, you know, that's one, of the, that's one of the perks of the job. You know, it's, uh, you know... Uh, Katie and I have the luxury of, of, of working together, and we've uh, we've sort of figured it out by now, and uh, uh, and it's great because you know it's a very it's a very hectic schedule, you know. Like I'm, you know, uh, and I don't say this, you know, in complaining. It's just the reality of you know. It's like a you know I'm working 75, 80, 90 hours sometimes a week, and so I'm not around. Like I have to reintroduce myself to my family you know, at, at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, so if we didn't really work together, we probably wouldn't see each other as often as we do. So um, that's a perk. And, um, um, and you know, uh, I, I love my cast. You know, they're all, you know, they're all fucking nuts. And, uh, um, you know, I, we're, we are. We're just like this big, insane, dysfunctional family. And everyone's got their personality you know, issues. Um, but the great thing is, you know, they all love each other and they all give each other shit. Um, and that, to me, that camaraderie really comes across on screen, you know? The, the thing I learned, the, one of the biggest lessons I learned on The Shield was, and Sean, was, and Sean and Scott Brazil really worked hard to do this, was creating the environment where people felt safe, people felt supported, so that they could show up, and if you give them the tools, if you give them good, good material, that they'll show up and they'll actually enjoy coming to work. And that, that's across the board, actors, cat, you know, cast, and crew. And, and that really, if you're able to do that, I believe that really translates onto, onto the screen. You, know, you, can, you can tell when people have chemistry. You, know, you can tell when guys are having fun together. And these guys fucking love each other. And they ride together. You know, and and that's, you know, that's something you can't, you know, you can't create. You, know, you really have to... Uh, um, you know, you you know, you really have to sort of give them give them those tools to do that, and uh, um, and it's the biggest lesson that I learned, and and uh, and we've been able to do that, you know. So uh, uh, I'm really, you know, I'm 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 lucky in terms of of of, of all of that. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. Everybody, join me in thanking our guest this evening, Kurt Sutter.